Hi, I'm Tim Crosby and welcome to episode 41 of Down the Track, Sean Whip, another episode. Yeah, good to be back uh, for another one, Tim, and um, good to keep the, the steady stream of uh, big name guests rolling in. Yeah, episode 40, we sort of ventured off into a new direction, uh, you know, a few things going on uh, around Australia and gee, as we've seen from the last few days in Victoria, uh, it doesn't take much to change attitudes, does it? No, no, it's it's uh, it's become pretty readily apparent that as much as those little changes or or little test runs, I guess, that have occurred in professional sport, um, you know, may have a pretty heavy bearing on on more community or or you know um, Olympic sports. I guess in the sense that if the AFL are struggling to keep things, you know, all in one one neat little pocket and they're footing the bill for all the testing and all the all the isolation, um, yeah, it could be could be a pretty hard slog for other sports. Yeah, exactly. Now, if you haven't listened to episode 40, please do so because Glenn Turner is very eloquent in his way of describing what the uh, the impacts on athletics has been during the coronavirus, but also what they have been doing and what they're allowed to do most importantly, or what we are allowed to do currently. And it's a never-changing thing, isn't it, Sean? So the Monday meeting would have occurred, and so we'll find out more for this week. And I think with the latest announcements from uh, Dan Andrews over the weekend, I think... We ain't going any or forward anytime soon. I think we we might now be in a more static position for a little while to come, Sean. Would you agree? Yeah, I, th- I think it's hard. And, and a lot of the, I guess, sort of variety of chief medical officers that seem to get brought onto the news and, and various outlets do, you know, indicate that that sort of eradication of, of something that's been at pandemic proportions is quite difficult because you get these clusters. And if you have one that takes off, you know, it's very hard to then isolate all those individuals again and, and bring it back down. So... You know, you'll see in places like South Australia, they've managed to get it down to zero and, and keep it there for quite some time or, you know, even New Zealand. Um, but it unfortunately does look like things are ramping up a bit in Victoria. Um, and, and, you know, obviously there's been statements across the weekend uh, about the changes that'll make to things like familial visiting and, um, you know, sort of pausing the return of, of various uh, hospitality outlets. But, yeah, we'll yeah. see what that means to sport. It is, it is a bit of a shame, but anyway, it's just uh, life as we know it now. Now, let's talk a little bit about our, um, who we're going to have on the show this time. Yeah, so um, we managed to get uh, Luke Matthews to, to give us a, a part of his day to, to have a chat and, and let us know how everything's going, um, I guess, for a, for a guy that spends a fair bit of his sort of training uh, based in, in the West and is a guy that's you know, experienced sort of the highest highs of the sport at a very young age. Um, and the lows of injury a few times and you know, he's in the midst of a return from a bit of a, an injury at the moment. Um, so it, it was interesting to get the, the perspective of someone who maybe that postponement of Tokyo has, has probably worked quite well for. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, uh, he'll be able to spread um, that sort of, I guess that sort of uh, view from the, the very, very elite end of the running world. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into it. Episode 41 with Luke Matthews. Luke Matthews, welcome along. Hey, mate. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Good. A pleasure, Sean. It's, uh, this is one we've been trying to line up for a little while, and it's good to have Luke here on his own. Um, and let's see where we go with this conversation. Now, Luke, let's go through some of your accomplishments. Uh, one Olympic Games, one Commonwealth Games, two World Champs, two World Relays, also World Juniors. Um, at the tender of age of 24, you've, you're already tracking along quite well, aren't you? I was actually having to think about it the other day with um, just speaking to one of my mates. He's like, oh, about, you know, when's the right age to, when's the right age to call it type thing. And 
sometimes I'll be like, yeah, I'll retire next week. And then other times I'm like, yeah, I'll retire when I'm 40. So I kind of go in and out of, of that. But we're saying, it's like, yeah, just say hypothetically, if it was to, if it was to end right now, you know, I've seen an Olympics, um, Prom Games, two world champs. I've raced in what, America, raced in the Middle East, I've, got, I've raced all over. So, yeah, I've kind of, kind of seen a fair bit of athletics and got a, got a decent resume in, um, in, a, in a pretty short time, which I'm pretty happy with. Yeah, you certainly have. I think let's start this off though. Let's talk about training environment currently, and we'll talk, you know, all things twenty twenty two because it has been an unusual year and unusual circumstances for so many. So, just give us a little bit of background. Where you're currently sitting, you've had some injuries. What is it about your training? Who you're training with, and and how's it all structured at the moment, Luke? Yeah, so um, um, feel like you know, not much of a secret. Um, I feel I've been I've been pretty injured. Um. So yeah, around around um, January, I started to feel a bit of pain kind of in my planner. Um, didn't think too much of it, just because you know I get little niggles and stuff like that all the time. And then ended up having a, got an MRI, and then over the space of the next you know month and a half, two months, I, I was kind of in and out of physios, seeing bloody every professional in Melbourne to try to get something right. Finally got a scan on it, and it came back that I had a. Um, I think it was like an eight millimeter tear or something like that in my planner. Also had a, some fat pad bruising and then also a cyst in there. So I made an absolute meal of it. Um, so yeah, that, and then pretty much when I found out about that and when my, you know, I kind of got to the point where I couldn't really, um, I couldn't really hobble around on it much longer was right around the time when Corona hit and um, all this lockdown happening and then the Olympics being um, uh, postponed. So for me, um, you know, this, this, kind of isolation in it for, for coronavirus. I've pretty much just been having a bit of a bit of a break, bit of a mental break. Haven't really ran too much. I've been I moved into my girlfriend's house and um my girlfriend's uh, dad has a has a Watt bike here. So I've just been on the Watt bike once or twice a day doing a lot of home gym stuff. But um in the last couple of days in the last say week and a half I've I've started to build back into my um my kind of walk run progress. But, uh, but yeah, for, for me and the current situation, it's just been cross training and a whole heap, but not much. Are you enjoying this period though, Luke? Has it been sort of a, that little bit of a, a let off that there's no compelling reason to be fit right now or to be pushing yourself forward right now and, and doing that little bit of cross training? Are you comfortable in that situation? Yeah, I, I think it's good. I mean, you know, at the, at the very start, at the very start before, you know, before we kind of went into isolation, I was pretty, pretty stressed out because I was thinking, well, sh- you know, crap, like, I missed a few weeks. My base, I, I don't have a, you know, a fantastic base underneath me. Um, you know, that, I got to get over flag stuff. I got to race. I'm not sure how my foot's going to be. So I was super stressed out. But then when it, when it, when it came out, the with the Olympics postponed, I had a massive sigh of relief, relief, and I just thought, okay, that's good. Like I could, you know, just really get the foot right. And I think for me, yeah, it was, it's been a really good break. Like, um, you know, there's not many times in your life where you can kind of have a break and, you know, and, and, and the running world goes on pause. Um, so for me, it's, it's been great to, yeah, just, you know, live the life of a normal person, have sleep in, um, you know, not be, not feeling guilty or, you know, about having a, having a beer or anything like that. And just, um, just really chilling out. So it's, yeah, it's been, it's been perfect. And if I can, I've only, I've only really had two major injuries and I, I dropped my foot in 2018 and now I've got this. And if I, 2018 was, it was pretty flattening because whilst I, whilst I had my broken foot, you know, everyone was racing over overseas in Europe. So I was kind of waking up and, and seeing these results and 
not not being bitter or not being jealous or anything like that, but I was just like, you know, crap, like that that's where I should be. Um, so this time, whereas you know, running haven't had to worry about you know things being on. It's been it's been a really good yeah mental break. So I'm um I'm pretty happy with pretty happy with you know the time off, and I'm I'm ready now to to get back and get fit and and start running. So I assume that Team Matthews is now starting to gear up around you as well, which obviously Coach Mum is heavily involved in that. So do you want to just give us a little bit of background of of how that's working, how that sort of tracks along, and what sort of group dynamic you've got going at the moment? Um, yeah, we've got a, a very good group at the moment. We've got you know my, myself, Sam McEntee and Morgan, kind of in our, I suppose, like elite professional kind of group but then you know after that we've got people like Nathan Pierce and Matt Schumberg and just you know a few few runners that are you know kind of at a decent you know club to state level um, and then mum's also got you know a ridiculous amount of juniors and, and stuff like that so yeah it's 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 really good I, I really like that you know the group kind of me mum started coaching me in 20 and her and from then when it was just us at a track to now having, you know, all this tiered grouping type thing from, yeah, juniors to, you know, some, you know, people like my sister, like the fun runners and then to an elite group, it's, it's really good. But uh, the group dynamic, I mean, it's, you know, pretty simple kind of, you know, just like any group for myself, uh, Morgan, Sam and, and a few others, we, we do most of our training in the morning. Um, we meet up just like, like any other group and um, we go to our, we go to our training camp, um, you know, in Falls Creek or, you know, last year we were in, in, in Flagstaff. So it's, um, you know, credit to mum because she's been able to, she's able to get some results with, with her athletes and she's able to, you know, make us feel confident in the training. And, and, and it's credit that people like people like Sam McIntyre and Morgan want to actually join our group. So it's, um, yeah, I haven't haven't been super involved with, with training recently because uh, I've obviously been injured, but yeah, it's been, it's, it's, um, it, I really enjoy the, the, you know, running with the group and, um, I love the I love that we're starting to get uh, better athletes and be competitive when we go to well at Milers I feel like mum's got mum's got someone in every race but it's it's good to have someone like Smack who's you know Smack Morgan and myself hopefully you know we can have three of us in the Olympic team. Do you reckon you're a fairly independent guy though, Luke? You know when you look at the way you manage yourself, uh, I'd just be interested to know the the level of you know, discourse or conversation you have with, with your mum, Liz, regarding your training, how much input you have, you know, where she calls the shots, what do you listen to, what you, you might sort of not listen to? Um, yeah, I'd say yes and no. Um, I am independent with some things and there's, there's some things like, you know, I really like being hands-on with, um, I really like being hands-on with like my gym program and I kind of organise that myself. Um, I like to decide my own physios, my own masseuse, um, stuff like that. So I suppose in that sense, I am I am very, very independent. Um, and then on the flip side, yeah, I mean, um, you kind of touched on, you know, having any involvement with coaching and whatever it might be. And, and yeah, definitely, it's I'd say that I have a, have a massive involvement with, with the training. Um, you know, it's, it's not as simple as, hey, we're doing this. It's, um, you know, I might get a training on a, you know, might get the training for the week or whatever it might be. And I was like, hey, instead of this, what about this? And if, you know, mum agrees with it, it might change. But if she doesn't, she'll, you know, kind of give me a reason and, and that's the case. So I think with that, yeah, pretty hands-on with my coaching. And um, I think that, you know, there's some athletes that like to be involved with their coaching. I definitely am one. And there's also other athletes who like to be told exactly what to do. You know, I'm, I've, I've, I suppose I've, I've been one of those when I was with my former coach and now I'm, yeah, a lot more hands-on. But 
Um, I think, you know, 2019, I kind of had a bit of a bit of an average, I'd say, European stint. And I'd say the biggest thing to that was that I was, I decided too much of the training that I wanted to do. Um, you know, I was, I was always wanting to do my thresholds and longer reps and stuff like that. Whereas mum was always saying, hey, we need it. We need to start getting some speed into your legs. And I was saying, no, 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 you know, all the time. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, that's kind of why I think that's one of the reasons why I um, had an average 2019. So, uh, yeah, I'd say in some aspects of my of my life and training, I am very independent. But when it comes to um, coaching, I do like to have yeah a bit of a bit of a hands on approach and and chat it over with mum. Yeah, Luke, I remember um, last year spending a, a bit of time chatting to Liz um, over in Italy, and and she kind of remarked on some of those differences as well. Where you know a lot of the time we see you as a, a pretty laid back, you know, comedic kind of guy, and and she kind of made these comparisons to you know that there's a bit of a different look on say the warm-up track or, or just before a race. And, you know, that, that I guess I so often trotted out trope or cliche of, you know, athletes sort of flicking a switch or, or turning it on a bit, but it, it sounds like a relationship that, you know, you and, and Liz have managed to, I guess, keep a balance in with her being, you know, both your, your mum and your coach. Yeah, we've, we've definitely got a balance and I don't know, you've obviously spoken to mum and um, it's, you know, it's, it's usually pretty 24-7 running with mum. So it's even though, that she, yeah, she's mum, she, it is coach and there is a lot of running. So it, it is sometimes hard to, to kind of separate the two. And, you know, sometimes when there's definitely been times when I've been at home and mum's talked about, hey, what about we do this session in two weeks? And I'll be like, mum, come on, I, I just don't want to talk about running right now. But um, and then, yeah, I think you also said like mentioning the, you know, the, the you know, kind of like flicking the switch type thing. And I think, yeah, I... I am very laid back in my life and I, I am pretty chilled out and I, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty normal. I don't, I'm not upset. I'm not, I don't come across as super obsessed with running, but I think um, you'll, you'll definitely admit this whip is that, yeah, like when it, when it does come to running, I am, I am very obsessed with it. And I, I know every stat, I know, I know every spike, I know everything. And, true. and when it comes, yeah, and uh, and when it comes to training, you know, I might be pretty pretty relaxed in the warm up or whatever. But when it comes to training, I'm very serious, and I and I and I can and I can switch it on. And yeah, even the same when it comes to racing, I can you know be in the car ride there and be listening to music, dancing to music. But then as soon as I go out to warm up, it's yeah, you know, I don't, don't really say too much, and I and I, and I get pretty <laughs> nervous. I, yeah, look like um yeah look look pretty intense. So I think yeah, it's it kind of one of those things with you know, with running, I suppose I can turn it on and off and, you know, be able to chill and be able to be a normal person. But then there's also the flip side where I can, um, you know, turn it on and be serious and speak to mum about meticulous things and, you know, mm. you know, certain sessions and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, I think, I think that's the way to have it, be able to shut off easily, but also be able to turn it on pretty easily too. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like that's a, a really big difference that we miss between say, you know, a lot, a lot of the things that I don't know, maybe myself or Crosby are more used to in the runners that we talk to or work with where, you know, the different levels you go through as an athlete, a lot of people are just trying to get fitter or, you know, trying to get back to fitness or, you know, it's, it's that more recreational or club level, which, you know, there's, there's still an element of with, you know, sort of Olympic caliber athletes, you know, they're trying to get fitter or, or, you know, eke out that extra, you know, there's a smaller amount, but in what you said there about having input on your training or, or having like a level of understanding, you know, having spoken to a number of athletes in similar positions to yourself, you know, I guess you sort of developed that, uh, I guess like a, a knowledge book, I guess of, of, you know, you've, you've been able to arrive at that certain place 
in the 800 or the 1500 a bunch of times prior in terms of you know that ability and that and that level of fitness you know do you feel like you're in a space now where you know pretty well the the sort of you know are there markers or sort of sessions or you know metrics that you'd use to know when you're in that sort of shape um yeah i mean it's definitely it's definitely a bit easier to to kind of have an idea and an, of an understanding say when it when it's when a, when I'm coached by mum just because you know like you know we might do three sessions a week and you know say one of those is a threshold or you know some form of tempo or something like that and the other two are very 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 specific and designed for me and there'll be times where I only do those sessions and it's you know just just it might even just be myself or it's that on the bike so yeah there's definitely sessions that I do say if it's like you know a, a hard anaerobic session on a Saturday and I'm you know and I'm I'm knocking out 38 seconds three thirty eight second 300s comfortably and you know low 50 400s comfortably and stuff like that but um I think I think the I think the good thing is that you know like when 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 I'm building up every year each week is just a touch better than the week before and um when you kind of accumulate that over time over time over time and you knock out these you know 8k's worth of work um on a Tuesday and then you do and they're just all really good reps and stuff like that so I wouldn't and and the same on a Saturday I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a session where it's like you know eight two hundreds or something like that it's more just about hitting 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 the Tuesday and Saturday times perfectly or even better than I'd expect I'd expect and then if I do that leading into a race I'm usually like okay I'm I'm, I'm gonna race pretty good but I think for my case my my the way I train and my fitness is always usually reflected in a race. I'd never, there hasn't really been a time recently where I've been in incredible shape and not race well around that time. Whereas I think that some, that happens with a lot of athletes where they get into ridiculous shape and they don't quite kind of translate that into racing. Whereas I think usually in the past I've been pretty opposite. So, so yeah, I think, yeah, kind of not, not, not an indicator, but just when I'm hitting consistent Tuesday, Saturday sessions and it's just feeling like it's easy, that's when I know I'm usually ready to go. Yeah, it's a pretty good point you make there. I think, um, you know, we've, we've interviewed a lot of athletes who, you know, talk about those times they have overseas where they've been in X sort of shape or X sort of fitness and they've, they've never quite, you know, it's, it's never all sort of come together. Um, whereas yeah. I feel like in the discussions that we've had with you or, you know, times I've seen you floating around at different races, it's always been that balance in terms of, you know, you've been trying to get back in terms of fitness or you've, you know, you had that pretty frustrating period last year where you had all those races where you've sort of, you know, in that knocking on the door sort of sense for the 1500. And I guess that's probably a really hard thing for people to grasp back over here as well in that you can be in that shape and, you know, you can be sort of nailing everything in training, but things especially like a 1500 can be pretty difficult to control in those international mates. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And I, I think that's kind of the, the, the kind of um, thing that people kind of get confused about with um, going to Europe is that people go to Europe and you just expect that every race is, you know, for a 1500, every race is going to be perfectly paced in 57 and there's going to be a train of people um you're not going to be impeded on it all. And same with the, you know, same with the 5k, everyone's just going to assume that it's 63, 64s from the gun and nobody's going to get in your way. Same with an 800 or anything like that. So, so yeah, I think Europe is, is kind of one of those places where it's, it's a little bit harder than, than what you think. And in Australia, there might be times where you're, you know, you're racing and, you know, if I'm doing a 1500, people might just give me, you know, if I kind of point to the ground, they might give me some space. Whereas in Europe, when you're racing the Kenyans and Europeans and, 
Americans, they don't they don't give a crap about anyone. So, yeah, it is pretty intense. And, yeah, last year was, was kind of frustrating just because I feel like I only really got one perfect race. And that perfect race that I got, I missed the qualifier by 0.03. So, yeah, hopefully, well, I, see, I hoped that 2020 European season would be better, but that's pretty much wiped out. So, hopefully, uh, 2021, I get um, kind of kind of hit my straps a little bit better. Well, let's talk about some of those performances, Luke. I want to throw one at you, and that's the your 800-metre PB, 145.166, March in 2016 in Melbourne. Do you want to relive that race a little bit for us? <laughs> yeah, I can happily do that. Yeah, that was that was kind of... Um... Kind of like the the cherry on top of a of a really good domestic season that year. So, in the in the February, February of 2015, I um, started being coached by by Nick. Um, and at that time, I I, I think I just ran a 147. I ran a 343. So, you know, I kind of showed that I had a bit of potential, but you know, I wasn't quite at that point of qualifying. And went over to Europe that year, did, and then came back from Europe, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do it, have have a crack at trying to make this Olympic team, and to be honest with you, everything, everything, the tail end of 2015 just went perfectly. I, you know, was training well. I was doing, you know, my, I was, I was doing Tuesday and Saturday sessions with people like, you know, right behind people like Brett and Gregson and Collis and stuff like that. So I was, I just had like, you know, the perfect people to get me fit. Um, and then, yeah, I, I got the opportunity to race in the domestic season and I ran Hunter, ran 146 and I pulled up there. I didn't, I didn't realize how quick we we're actually going and, I'm kind of annoyed at myself because I broke it around the qualifier in that race, and then went over to Brisbane. I went over to Hobart and ran 3:37, and then I ran a 3:56 mile, and then and then yeah, and then start of March this um this race came up, and I uh, was pretty confident going into it. I knew I knew that I was going to run the. I knew I, th- I thought that I was going to be close to the Olympic qualifier just based on how I'd run previously in the season, and done a heap of training, done a heap of sessions, and I was doing all the hill reps that I was doing at Waddle Park. I was you know putting like 10 meters into like the, you know, the next best, like, you know, 10 meters for hill reps into like Brett and Ryan and stuff like that. And then, yeah, I was, had the opportunity to race Rhodesia. And I remember the whole week I was just, it's just, you know, I, I just felt like it was such a big build up. And I told my mates that, um, I told my mates that I was running. So all my mates were there, all my family was there. And I remember, I remember, I still remember briefly beforehand, um, a, f- a few days before I was speaking to mum and she's like, what's your, what's your plan? And I was like, I don't know. I'm thinking about maybe just sitting at the back of the field and then just, just trying to work through. And then she's like, oh, okay. And then I'll speak it. And then I spoke to Nick on the Thursday, a couple of days beforehand. And he goes, do you know, do you have your tactics? And I was like, oh, I was thinking about maybe just sitting in, you know, fourth or fifth and then just coming up. And he just goes, no, 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 no. He goes, Radish is your pacemaker. So you get on him. You get on him, you sit on his ass, and you don't drop. And I was thinking, oh shit. Um, so that was kind of da- that was a bit daunting to think that you know you, you have to follow the, the best middle distance runner ever around a track for for two laps, and it was yeah pretty scary. And then you know I always, I you know when you race a guy like Radishi, you don't really have the expectation that you you know just because he's the world record holder, you just think you know this guy is there's no chance that I'm going to be able to beat him. And I still remember. I still remember. I think it was in the warm up. Um, uh, Nick Nick comes up to me and just said, "Luke, he goes if he's if he's slowing down, you pass him." And I thought, "Hang on a second. Like, there's a chance that you know this guy that my coach thinks that I might be able to possibly beat him." And yeah, the race kind of played out, and um, we kind of cleared out on the back straight. And then 
that as we're going down the back straight into the final 200, he did actually slow down a little bit. And I, if you have a look on the bend, I, I tried to go around him, but he just he just was went from second gear to third gear and then just kicked away from me. But yeah, crossed the line. Didn't even check the. T- didn't even know what the time was. I just knew it was an Olympic qualifier. I ran over to all my mates and yeah, probably one of my you know, easily easily one of my favourite running memories that. Um, you know, I got to got to run, still my still my PB, run my first ever Olympic qualifier in a decently packed Albert Park uh, Lake Stadium, and um, yeah, got to do it with all my friends there, and you know, got to in, enjoy it afterwards with them, and and have a beer and have a feed and stuff like that. So it was just, just yeah, with with all things combined, it was just just absolutely incredible. Going into that last two hundred, Luke, you know, knowing that you were actually really competitive and were you aware of where the other Australians were or you just didn't care about that? It was all about you and Rudisha. No, honestly, like, I, I honestly, I didn't even know, didn't even know how, until I actually watched the race back. I, at the time, I couldn't have even told you who came third, fourth, fifth or anything like that. I just, I just knew I just had to get out quick and 800s for me are a little bit harder just because I struggle a bit off the line sometimes. And I just remember thinking I had to get out quick and I didn't even think about anyone else in the race. And all I, worried about was looking at bloody Radisha's heels so wasn't aware of anything I mean <laughs> James Gurr only just missed the qualifier and I, I, I didn't probably didn't even know that until yeah, a day later or something like that so um no didn't 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 consider or even think about anyone else in the race another one I want to talk about because I think I saw this one was winning your heat in the world champs in 2017 in London must have felt pretty good yeah, that uh, that was yeah. I suppose one of the more challenging, more challenging kind of periods of of, of my running career. So yeah, I'd, I'd ran I'd ran decently at the start of Europe, and you know I ran three thirty five twice. I ran a three fifty four mile. Um, I ran a one forty six in um, at Oxy. Uh, so I was in I was in decent shape, and then you know kind of similar to what 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 happened in twenty sixteen. By that kind of June July, I just started to decline a little bit. And around that time, you know, me and me and Nick started to, you know, kind of go at each other more. And I kind of, you know, got to my absolute wits end with with Nick and, you know, him making me feel like shit. So I started to defend myself, speak up. You know, there was a few things which I didn't agree with in training and I, and I spoke about it. And we just got to the point where we were going at each other, you know, almost daily when we got to our training camp in Spain and I just decided to leave. So from when I left, from when I left until say the the heat I had about 10 days I'd say I'd just you know just before I left I had an allergic reaction to um I had an allergic reaction to peanuts and I got put on prednisolone which a uh, prednisone or whatever it's called so I had this medication where I just I couldn't sleep because it just it just it just wakes you up so much I had all these shocking sessions and and then yeah and then I and then I finally left and yeah, so I had about ten days. I met the Australian team, and I didn't really, not wasn't really sure what was going to happen. But I just kind of used that ten days leading up, just because I was so cooked and so kind of fatigued. I just used that time to freshen up, and I was literally I did a couple of two hundreds, a couple of four hundreds, a handful of sessions where I just felt good. And yeah, I just remember thinking on the day I was like, shit, I feel, actually feel pretty good. And we were the third heat, so we we're a little bit lucky. And the first heat was about three forty six. The second heat was three forty or 341 or something like that. And I remember we were coming, we came through, we came through the bell at about 240, like 243 or something like that. 
And I just remember thinking that, all right, all I need to do is finish. I think I can finish top six. You go, I go, but realistically, if I just go with the kick and I finish top 12, I should be able to, I should be able to get through. And then, yeah, I remember thinking with about, I looked up at the screen with about, um, looked up at the screen, you know, with about 200 to go. And I, there were six of us that got clear. And um, I remember we we're coming down the straight and I was, I was in about third and I thought, you know what, screw this. I, there's not many, not many times you get to, you know, win a world champs heat. So Instead of just you know waiting across the line, I, I went to the front and and yeah and celebrated winning a heat. <laughs> Do you think Luke, in some way, that was a bit of an emotional release after what you've been through? Yeah, hundred percent. And I definitely had a motive to run well in the kind of in the face of someone. So so yeah, it was it was emotional and it was also a bit of a I suppose a middle finger up as well. I guess that's um, an interesting thing. I guess I've noticed watching you since, you know, that world junior age through to now is, you know, very often we try and pigeonhole athletes and say, oh, he's an 800 guy or like, oh, he's a 1500 guy. And you know as well, you know, there's often this nationals timetable where you haven't been able to pick both or, you know, for whatever reason you've had to pick one. And there seems to be, um, I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but there seems to be this humorous tactic you have in the eight where just about every time you sort of clear out with about, 220 meters to go and uh and when you're in shape nobody really seems to be able to do too much um do you is is there a preference there in between racing the eight or the 15 i'd say i'd say probably i'd probably have a bit of a more of a preference in the 15 just for a few reasons like one it's you know i you know i can i can run i you know i could run cross country i think i can run a decent 3k um so i do have a decent aerobic backing and then I've also got the 800 speed where I think, you know, I, I think that, you know, with my abilities, my, my, I'm the perfect event for me is the, is the 1500. And, you know, you look at it in the, you know, on the global stage and, you know, only eight people make the final in the 800, 12 people make the final in the 1500. Um, it's less cutthroat. You know, there's only two semis instead of three. Um, uh, there's, um, there's less heats. So it's, it's, I think in terms of, you know, going forward, I probably have a preference in the 1500, but at the same time, like I, I definitely don't want to get pigeonholed because, you know, I still think that, um, you know, whether, you, whether people might think that this is you know obnoxious and so stupid or whatever it might be, but, you know, I think going forward, I still believe that I can make a final in an 800 and I, you know, and I also believe that I can make a final in a 1500. So I don't, I definitely, definitely don't want to be pigeonholed. I am, I am aware that, you know, I can't, you know, go to the Olympics and, you know, just assume that I'm going to run at a high level in both because the training is different. You know, that's, that means if you are doing both at a championship, that means you might possibly run six times, you know, and usually that's not really, not, not, not going to end well, you know, just based on literally racing six times. So yeah, I, I, I definitely have a preference towards the 15, but yeah, I don't definitely don't want to be pigeonholed. And in Australia, I think that um, I think that I could win the win the nationals in the eight hundred and win the nationals in the fifteen hundred, and also run qualifiers in both, and you know, hopefully one day get the records in both. But yeah, definitely don't want to be pigeonholed. But I think yeah, I do. If if I was in perfect fitness, and you know, mum was to say to me, all right, you've qualified for both events at the Olympics. What one do you want to focus on? I'd probably say the fifteen hundred. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty fair assessment, which I guess rolls us into the next one. Um, you know, you were saying with the I guess that sort of that championship approach with both um, probably the most the most pressurized race I've seen at, a, at an open national championships was uh, the the 2019 1500 up in Sydney and I reckon 
I don't know. You, you know, you say you get a bit nervous, you know, before a race and stuff. And, you know, obviously everyone treats that sort of pre-race time period a little bit different. But for anyone that hasn't been there up at Sydney Olympic Park, you you walk onto this completely separate warm-up track. So it's a full 400 metres. There's, you know, seats and the seats are a little bit back from the track as well. And, and everyone sort of sets up in these funny little camps. So you'll have these little conversational groups where everyone will be sort of waffling away about whatever event's up next. And you can sort of hear it the is, It is very it is very clicky on that track, on that warm-up oh, track. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you sort of hear like the, the results rumbling over from the main stadium. You hear the gun go every so often. And, you know, if anyone's particularly nervous, they get a little bit more flighty as the time comes down. And um, I think I remember walking back out to the warm-up track to do some admin thing and saw you, uh, it, all in little separate blocks, saw you, Gregson and Ramsden all walking towards the call room. And I don't reckon I've ever ever seen three blokes looking any more like they were going to the gallows than, uh, than you three because I felt yeah. like that race had this sense that everyone seemed to predict what they thought was going to happen sort of like two or three days before the race and it ended up being relatively accurate. Like no one seemed to be able to settle on who a winner was going to be but everyone seemed to yeah. agree that it would go slow and that Ramsden would need to go a bit earlier if he wanted to try and win. Um, so how did, how did you play yourself through that one? Yeah, well... Actually, it's actually funny you mention that because I've only um, sorry you guys might not might not like me saying this, but I've I've only I've only listened to a handful of the um of the podcast of the of these podcasts, and one of the podcasts yeah. I did listen to one of the podcasts I did listen to was the the podcast you did just after the national championships where you kind of went through you know all the races and you and uh, you you kind of mentioned my um my celebration of the ice in the veins and you know being cool under cool and calm under pressure and, and you actually said that you could I think you said something like you could cut the tension you know on, on the warm up track with a knife oh it was, yeah it was, yeah and I you know I I suppose at the time it's you know I'm I'm nervous for every race so at the time I didn't really appreciate it but looking back yeah I just remember I even remember mum like mum was could hardly stand up she she was almost almost sick like with nerves and. I was there with my family and, you know, there was another place with, you know, Ryan and Ramsden and then, you know, Panson. And so, yeah, it was very intense. And um, and so, yeah, just, just thought I'd comment on that part before I kind of got into the assessment of the race. But, yeah, to be honest with you, like, I, once again, going back on what I said originally is that, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm training well, I usually know that I'm going to, going to race pretty well. And just some of the sessions that I've done leading up to nationals, I, I, and even not even that, you know, I'd ran 145 in Perth and um, I'd ran, I'd, I'd done a handful of races where I'd gone pretty good. So I was, um, I was pretty confident that I was going to go well. And to be honest with you, in my mind, I thought that it was going to go one of two ways. I thought that it was either going to be really, really quick, like, you know, potentially like a, you know, like a 335, 336 race or something like that. Or I thought it was going to be I thought it was going to be really slow for say 700 meters. And then as soon as we get the two laps to go, I thought that Ramsden or who like Ramsden or, um, uh, or even Hanson or, or, like like Hunter or someone. Yeah. 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 So I just, I just thought that someone was going to get after it. And yeah, I mean, it was, it, someone kind of said that the race was almost, you know, like kind of centro, like where it kind of dominated from the front. And I, you know, my, my preference isn't to be at the front, but when it was so slow, I just thought, well, screw this. I, I think I've got the best kick, so I'm just going to dictate it the way that I want. And 
to be honest with you, I thought the, I remember even thinking in the race, I was thinking, okay, 800 to go, no one's gone. I thought it was going to come with 600 to go, and then it finally came with 450. And then as soon as it came, I felt that was probably the most comfortable I, I was because I was like, all right, now it's time where I don't have to worry about other people. All I have to do is go. And um, yeah, I mean, I, if I look back at periods of my life and I, periods of my you know athletic career, I think that you know from March 16th or whatever Perth was until April 7th. That was probably the fittest I'd ever been, I'd, I reckon, in my in my athletic career. And I, you know, if I even said this, like if it was, if I was to run a time trial then and it was, you know, a 3.33 race or something like that, I feel like that's what I would have ran. And, and then I also had the ability to close in 51 or whatever it was. So, so yeah, that was a, it was a pretty yeah intense race. And I, I feel like everyone was hyping it up. I feel like everyone was talking about it. Everyone was asking me tactics, what I'm going to do, and 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 yeah, I mean, those weren't my, weren't my tactics at all. My tactics were to sit second the whole way until I felt confident enough to drop everyone, and and um, I ended up leading bloody you know three quarters of the race, and um, but yeah, I was, I was confident enough in my kick where you know I felt like I could I could wait I could wait to, to 100 to go, whatever it was, but yeah, just just the way it worked out was was perfect, and ended up being probably yeah probably one of my best tactical races and just in a in a really intense situation and kind of yeah I suppose like a bit of an emotional thing to it like versing your ex-training partner and um and then again it, it was a it was a national championship so yeah it was a it was a pretty intense hyped up race but look does that really indicate though that when you are on top of the game as you believe you were that the the change in tactics or the response to a change in tactics is so much easier that you knew that you would then have to control which you did and and I, I do if anyone hasn't had a look at this race lately go back and have a look at it because to me it was a, an ideal example that i'd show to younger athletes of how to be always in position and apart from one little time where you got boxed in slightly i think when you're between uh Forthorpe and hansen you're in control the whole way yeah um yeah and i, I think i even spoke about this with you briefly is like at the time i i was more than happy to 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 let i think it was hansen or Forthorpe go to the front um just because i didn't I didn't actually want to lead when the kick went. I would rather, you know, kind of sit off someone and slingshot. Um, but then, yeah, and then I kind of almost got boxed in and I was just lucky enough that Forthorpe left a little bit of a gap on the on the inside where I was able to get through. So, yeah, that got a bit lucky. But, yeah, I do think tactically it was, was pretty good besides, yeah, maybe, you know, like one little average decision. But, yeah, I think it's, I don't know, it's being fit, for me, being fit and racing well and stuff like that, it's it's honestly the best feeling ever. And when I when I'm in that type of fitness, say you know, kind of you know, to be fair, most of the 2016 domestic season, most of the 2018 domestic season, and probably from you know March and April of 2019, I just felt super, super, super confident that I was going really well. And um, when I get to that point, it's it's kind of just like, well, you know, it can do anything. And it was it's even like the same at Com Games, like. The plan was never to try get a medal. Like the plan was to, because I was going before so well before Com Games. The plan wasn't to, you know, oh let's scrape through to the final or let's do this. It was because I was going so well and training so well. My plan was to win the race, and and that, and that, and and at the time it didn't didn't sound stupid. It sounded like it was a it it felt like it could have been a reality. So so yeah, when I when I am fit, it's it's um yeah I'm I'm, I'm pretty confident that I can, you know, I'd love to be in that type of fitness at a, at a major championships because I'd, I'd, I'd be pretty confident that I'd go pretty well through the rounds and then I think that I'd go pretty well in a final unless, 
chariot ran like 327 or something like that. <laughs> now, often we do poo-poo Commonwealth Games a little bit, but there's no doubt in the middle distance that it's a very competitive environment. And getting a bronze here and running 145.6, which is, you know, your PB is 145.16, so you're half a second off that. Uh, you must have come away from that that meet feeling relatively good about yourself, and now we've moved on to 2018, obviously. So it's um, you know moving away from that period of 2017 where you had some you know, tumultuous times. It must have given you some confidence leading through to that next season, which unfortunately 2019 didn't probably go to plan. But in 2018, you would have been feeling pretty good about yourself. Um, yeah, 20, 2018. Yeah, it was. Yeah, well, 2017 was such an emotional time because yeah, I had you know left the coach, you know what was it, eight months or something before Commonwealth Games? Well, it wasn't even that. I, was, I wasn't even concerned about Commonwealth Games when I left. I was concerned about Nationals because Nationals was going to be super cutthroat, super intense to actually make the team. And then you have to worry about mate, and then you have to worry about running well at a championship. Um, but yeah, walked away from, I think when I was actually in the village, I was obviously extremely happy that I got bronze. But, you know, my, my kind of plan, my, in my mind, I, I really wanted to win the 800 and I, and I thought that a medal was was possible in the 1500 and I thought that I could do both you know look at, at the time I was almost a little when I remember I, I walked off the track in the 1500 and I was super flat and then mum just I, and I remember afterwards I almost had a bit of a tear in my eyes and mum just goes Luke chill out like you've just won a bronze medal like it's 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 okay and I was like yeah okay well I need to consider that um but yeah I, I suppose yeah walking away from Commonwealth Games it was it was you know, in my mind, because I'd just gotten the medal, I'd ran that's in that domestic season. I'd ran one forty-five, I think, three times. Um, one forty-six in the heat. Um, I also ran a three thirty-seven um, in Brisbane with like a fifty or fifty-one last lap or something like that. So I was um, I walked away from Com Games thinking, you know, let's get this eight hundred meter record. Let's you know, sm- I think it was it was row at the time. Let's smash this one forty-four-four. Let's, um, you know, run 332. Let's, you know, have a crack at that 1500 meter record. And those were things that I thought was, were definitely going to happen. And yeah, and then, um, you know, not long later, I broke my foot and I kind of, at that time, you know, I thought, you know, well, this is actually going to be a good break because the next, next, you know, 2019 and 2020 are going to be so intense. But uh, yeah, ended up breaking my foot. So spending the most of the year that year, but I remember just when I saw all those results of once again, I'm never never bitter about pe- running people running well. It's it's more the fact that it's like shit, like that that's where I should be. So yeah, just waking up and seeing yes, yeah, like Stewie ran three thirty four and thirteen oh five and Deng and Bowl running their one forty fours, it it kind of just motivated me to get back on the horse for twenty nineteen and run really well. And I thought I really thought that with that shape that I was in at nationals that I was gonna go really well at world champs, but you know, with how the European season went and kind of how my training went and stuff like that, it just just never really clicked in in Europe. But um, but yeah, the the kind of the momentum and that I had in 2018 and just the thought that I can run well, I can beat people at a high level, I can I can get a medal. It kind of put me in a in a positive mindset that I can do that on a global on a global stage all the time. Just crystal balling then a little bit, Luke, and yeah, you've got high aspirations, which is which is absolutely awesome that you speak in those terms. But twenty twenty has been an unusual year, and yeah, we don't know, especially with travel bans and all those sort of things. Yeah, we don't know how the next six months are going to play out, let alone the whole twelve months through the Olympics. But broad planning at the moment, what are you actually realistic, realistically looking at over that next sort of short to medium term? Um, yeah, well, first and foremost, um, I've I've just started walk running so 
uh, keep building the strength in kind of my, my lower limbs. Well, like, uh, like, you know, my calf and ankle and, and, and my planner. So get that right. Um, get, get back up to, you know, running. I won't be, it'll be a while until I'm back at, you know, my 140, 130k or whatever it might be, but building back up to that, um, I'd love to get a, a couple of races in before Christmas because I haven't, I haven't actually done that in years. Um, and then I would really, really, really like to, just because I'm not sure how it's going to go next year, I'd really like to qualify for both the 8 and the 15 in Australia. Um, one, because, well, I've done it in the 800 and two, I think it is possible to do it in the 1500. And then, yeah, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not really sure how things are going to go for travel next year, but I'm, I don't know, I'm not, not super confident at the moment. So let's just, uh, fingers crossed that AV or, you know, somewhere over there, put some good races on in a, some good races on in Australia where we can qualify, but I don't know, I'm not, not super confident with, um, with, with that travel is going to be an ease, say come, come April or May or whatever it might be. Yeah, that, that is going to be an interesting dynamic, isn't it, Sean? We're sort of not sure because even we don't know at this point in time either. But I think what you're indicating there is that we might see a fair bit of you in the domestic scene, uh, particularly when the season starts. Yeah, and to be, to, to be completely honest with you, I love watching – I love doing the domestic season. And I reckon every year I've said, yep, I'm going to do state champs, I'm going to do milers, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And every year, like, you know, 20, 2017, I was just not that fit. Um, 2018, I, st- I feel like I did a fair bit of the domestic season. 2019, I was kind of, you know, still coming off my broken foot and kind of all over the place in January and February. So in a perfect world, I'd love to do every race in the domestic season. So, you know, I, I think that, yeah, next year my plan is to do, if, if I don't go overseas for indoors, which at the moment with the way America is, I couldn't see it happening. I, I would really like to, yeah, get a get some state champs in get a get some milers in and you know whether whether it's you know whether it's yeah you know a really quick race i still think that you know running a running the milers a section will be a, a really good workout and stuff like that so yeah it, it, if all things go to plan and i'm healthy and i'm fit i'll be definitely be wanting to do a, a lot of the domestic season but once again have to run it by uh have to run it by my mum first <laughs> Look, it's been great talking to you, Luke. Uh, thank you for giving us your time. This has been a bit of a disjointed podcast. Uh, it hasn't gone exactly the way we might have planned with you and Morgan, but uh, it's been really good to chat to you. Good to get your insights. Sean, anything else to add before we uh, exit? No, no, I think it's just been awesome hearing from Luke in terms of having an athlete where you know, he's obviously very much a student of the sport. And, and I guess as a, as a last anecdote, you know, for, for these athletes that are sort of coming up and, and wondering what Luke's talking about when he says, you know, he, he pays a lot of attention to stuff or, you know, he watches a lot of races. I guess I guess a running joke I seem to have with Luke is that whenever there's like a really obscure result overseas or something happens really early in the morning, I'll sort of text Luke the result and he'll sort of text back the rest of the field having already seen it or having already watched the whole thing. Or similarly, there's the last bit, I, pr- I promise to our listeners, I was sat in Doha in between Luke and Morgan McDonald watching the 5K final. And um, there was a breakaway that happened midway through the race where most of the East African guys um, and Mohamed from Canada made this, and I think Paul Schlemo as well, made this really big break to the front. And um, you could see that Ingebrigtsen's were running as a, a trio and Stewie McSwain, you can see he was a little puzzled as to like what he was going to do as to whether he was going to make up this gap or, you know, whether he's going to wait and push through. And Luke looks across at man Morgan and says, Oi, Morgan, Morgan, get a, get a watch on, 
on Stewie's next laps, I'll get the Ingebrigtsons. And Morgan is, if you think Luke's laid back, Morgan is almost unconscious. He's that laid back. And he was like, oh, okay. Like, I had no idea what was going on. And um, Luke, Luke pointed out, watch this. The Ingebrigtsons just won't change pace. They'll just run the same pace the whole way and they'll get back on. And this gap kept getting bigger and bigger. And I know Morgan and I were kind of like, oh, I don't know, Luke. Like, they're, they're losing. They're really losing, starting to lose ground here. Like, the guys at the front are, are taking off. Lo and behold, probably two laps later, you know, Stewie had made this sort of brave move to try and get back up to the front and keep himself in, in a world championship final. And the Ingebrigtsons, completely un, unfazed with it, had run pretty much identical splits the whole way and caught this lead group again once they sort of were in a lull. So I guess as an example, you know, I know we have a lot of young kids we deal with with the state teams and stuff and, and you know, you hear this sort of discourse as to whether kids should be too interested in their event or not interested enough or, you know, take it too seriously. But I think as long as, you know, it doesn't impact their own racing or their own training negatively in terms of comparison, um, yeah, I think the level of awareness some of these top, top athletes have of these really small idiosyncrasies that, some of the best athletes in the world have and how that can actually make a difference in races or, you know, in these real world situations is, is absolutely massive. So bit of a, yeah. bit of a shout out to Luke for being a student of the sport as well. I think, yeah, like uh, I'm, I'm very, very knowledgeable when it comes to athletics and I, I, I think I do know a lot of stuff is because one, I speak to a lot of people because I enjoy talking about it. And two, I just watch so many, so many running videos. And I think, that's, I think that the biggest thing is when you're learning your awareness of your racing and kind of you're mastering your craft or whatever it might be, it comes from watching and stuff like that. So it's, yes, yeah, I, I feel like every time I go into a race and you, you obviously don't want to overthink it, but I kind of know um, what every athlete in the race is going to do or what their tactics are and stuff like that. And yeah, that, per, that, that Ingebrigtsen, I, I still remember that perfectly because I remember just saying, you just watch, they'll be a net metronome. And I reckon four or five laps later, Stewie ended up popping a little bit because he, he actually tried to make that. And I'm pretty sure Jacob Ingebrigtsen, yeah, Jacob Ingebrigtsen and Philip were first and second about five laps later or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was just so funny to watch knowing that, you know, anyone else in that situation understood why Stewie made the move because he really didn't want to get dropped. But I think in the process he had to run, you know, a good couple of a second couple of seconds faster to make up the gap. Whereas the Ingebrigtsons just it was it was almost creepy to watch. They just didn't they just had not a care in the world and then made it up. And you know, anyone who's watched that final from Doha knows um old mate Jakob has a has a massive crack at the last sort of two fifty and, and blows up front of win. Honestly, I've I've like never been so intent intent on watching a five k in my life just because yeah. the fact that this white eighteen year or eighteen or nineteen year old kid just like literally dominant like yeah yeah looking like that or he'd broken you know <laughs> you know five to the quickest five k runners ever I I honestly thought it was incredible uh, that was mm. yeah one of the, one of the highlights for the uh, one of the highlights for world champs for me just seeing that that last lap and Jacob leading for you know, 250 metres or whatever it might have been. It's going to be interesting in future years too, Luke, because I dare say you might venture into coaching like uh, is happening in your family and God help the athletes that you've got because your encyclopedic knowledge is sort of going to be coming to the fore there. Anyway, thanks so much, Luke. Been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks again, Sean Whip. Thanks, guys. So great to hear from Luke, wasn't it, Sean? Some, uh, Some good insight. 
Yeah, I, I think it's always pretty refreshing to hear, um, I guess, especially for local listeners, someone that's come through, I guess, the whole, uh, you know, that sort of APS system from somewhere as local as, as Melbourne um, and has made it to the, the lofty heights of both the Olympics and the World Championships um, and a Commonwealth Games medal at, at such a young age. Yeah, I'll be really interested to track his career through the late or the mid to late twenties because I think uh, that's a time when you'd expect a guy like that to reach full maturity. And I think if if he is going to be in pursuit of those uh, Australian records and things like that, that's that period. If we can get that little bit of consistency under his belt for a few years, that's when we're going to see some pretty nice magic from Luke Matthews. Yeah, definitely. And I think he's a guy that's shown, you know, he's definitely not short on ability. Um, it's just that juggle when you know you are at the top of the sport where you're trying to um, really push those, those upper limits in terms of your, your fitness and your ability. Um, but trying to stay healthy at the same time is, is the, the biggest battle. Yeah. All right, let's change topic. Uh, the world of athletics, never far away from a controversy or two, is it, Sean? So uh, the last few weeks have had a few high-profile athletes once again being done for various reasons related to you know, drugs and um, or missing tests and all those sort of things. Do you want to enlighten us onto some of the or about some of the latest news? Yeah, it's been a really rough, um, I'd say, month or so for athletics in the sense that, you know, regardless of what comes out of either of these um, incidences, it's it's unlikely that athletics is going to be viewed in, in a more positive light um, following either incident. Um, so the, the hardest thing is that both of these athletes um, in the men's 100-meter world champion, Christian Coleman, um, and the women's 400-meter world champion, um, Salwa Aid Nasser. The important thing to note is neither have failed a drug test, so, so neither have a, a direct correlation there. But um, the difficulty with both of them is they've, they've been provisionally suspended by the Athletics Integrity Unit um, on failures for whereabouts testing. Um, so basically when you're a top, top, top tier athlete, you, get, you often get tested um, at major competitions like the Olympics, but you also get tested out of competition you know, to try and make sure that people aren't doing the wrong thing um, outside of these, these major events. Um, and in most countries, you'll have something that's referred to as a, a registered testing pool. Um, so specifically in the US, they have exactly that. And sort of at the quarter of the beginning of each quarter of the year, those athletes have to provide USADA, so the US Anti-Doping Agency, with some pretty detailed info on where they're going to be for every single day. Um, and the most important part of that is they're supposed to provide a one-hour window that specifically states where they're going to be available for testing. And those athletes can be tested outside that window as well. And I think um, a lot of a lot of anti-doping agencies work with an app on, on people's phones as well, so they can sort of schedule any changes in their schedule. So the, the difficulty with Coleman is before the 2019 World Championships in Doha, Coleman was provisionally suspended for missing uh, three um, or having three whereabouts failures within a 12-month period, um, which if you have three in a 12-month span, you're said to have committed a whereabouts violation um, and you're, you're immediately subject to a two-year ban from the sport. Um, so the really important thing to note in that somewhat complex um, issue is that there are two different types of whereabouts failures and this is where Coleman's is quite interesting. So Last year, prior to the Doha World Championships, um, we probably learnt a bit more about these rules that you could have a missed test or a filing failure. So a missed test is basically when a doping control officer um, turns up at the place you've listed in your one-hour window um, and you're not available, you're not there. Um, Whereas a filing failure um, occurs when the doping control officer tries to test an athlete 
outside of that one hour window, which is which is based on the same info that you've provided in your whereabouts filing. So, you know, you may have said your hour is 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., um, but that tester is still free to turn up at basically any time throughout the day and try and test you. Um, you can also receive a filing failure if the information you provide in your whereabouts filing is inaccurate or, or incomplete. So it's a pretty full-time job in terms of keeping the testers um, aware of where you are. So the hard thing with Coleman pre-Doha was he had missed, it appeared that he had missed three tests. Um, but what happened was the very first um, sort of incidences that he missed, well, well, two of them, one in 2018 and one in early 2019, were both marked as filing failures. So according to the WADA rules, so World Anti-Doping, um, filing failures are backdated, backdated to the start of the quarter in which they occurred. Um, so basically that meant that Coleman's three whereabouts failures um, got rejigged in terms of dates where it sort of ran from um, the, what's that? January, February, March, April, just doing the med, um, basically from April in 2018 to April 2019. But what happened was basically because he'd had this reset on the ones that were whereabouts failures, it wasn't quite a 365-day window. So I think he got off by about four days um, and, and it was quite a surprise when it popped up because I guess the Athletics Integrity Unit had just seen, you know, these initial three misses um, and then when it was investigated further, you know, it cropped up that obviously two of them were the, I guess, the, the backdated versions, the filing failures. Um, but where that got interesting was the more information that came out was that, you know, one of these filing failures, this this one-hour window that had listed in mid-2018, um, you know, he said he was going to be in Tennessee between 7 and 8 a.m. Um, doping control turned up at his house at 7.55, but they didn't officially start the collection attempt, so sort of knocking on his door, until 8.01. So that was one minute after his one-hour window because the problem was Coleman was actually in Eugene, Oregon. So he was getting therapy for an injury. But obviously because Coleman wasn't where he said he would be in the whereabouts filing, um, it went down as a failing uh, as a filing failure. But it did pose that question that if the tester had started, you know, one, one minute or, or two minutes earlier in June of 2018, um, he could have possibly still been facing a ban. So the hard thing here is that, you know, in the court of public opinion, Coleman's going to get demolished because you know it's, it's whether or not he's malicious or careless and where this has popped up believe it or not again um after all this legal kerfuffle in in 2019 you know he was allowed to run in doha but everyone knew he was sitting on two missed tests um and then it came out the other week that he had missed a third test um around christmas in the u.s and coleman made a pretty public statement on his twitter um, and instagram and sort of noted that um, he had this screenshot, which uh, which was basically his alert message from USADA that he had missed another test, but it said the, the, the address listed was incorrect. So now there's this big sort of curiosity where often in these cases, we don't get to hear much from the anti-doping side. They, you know, they keep it quite confidential and they don't really say too much. You know, they sort of lead with, you know, we weren't providing any more information at the time. It's under investigation. Whereas Coleman's kind of popping out a fair few facts that he feels would um, exonerate him. And the big question here is, you know, did Coleman list his address incorrectly? Did the doping control officer go to the wrong address? Um, but the other thing Coleman noted was that he didn't get a phone call. Now, a lot of other athletes in other countries found that quite a weird statement to make um, until a couple of athletics websites went in sort of a deep dive on the USADA rules. 
Um, and it does note that dope and control officers, you know, if they've been at someone's house for 50 minutes of that hour and they're really desperate to try and find it out if that athlete's at home or not or at their, their place of uh, listed testing, they can ring an athlete. Um, and obviously that's a difficulty to look at for anti-doping because they don't want to give people a heads up that they're getting tested. You know, the whole purpose of it is that it is, you know, it's, you don't have warning of when you're going to be tested. And the fact that Coleman sort of reiterated that he was called regularly almost every time he was tested, again, sort of got murdered by some very sort of high-profile athletes on Twitter who said, hey, look, if, if you're getting called all the time by USADA, you know, is that something more nefarious or do you just always leave answering the door or, you know, greeting the doping control folks to the last five to 10 minutes of your window, which is, which is really risky. So it's, it's unfortunately spurned out a lot more questions than it has spurned out answers. And it could be something as simple as, you know, the doping control officer has gone to the wrong address because one of the really key bits of information was this 7 to 8 p.m. window that Coleman provided. He suggested he was home inside that window. He said he was out Christmas shopping at the start of that window at 7, but that he was home before 8 p.m. So the hardest thing is that it devolves into this game of sort of he said, she said, or he said, he said, or you know, whatever the, the configuration may be with various athletes. And, you know, the doping control officers obviously logged this information that suggests Coleman wasn't available for testing. Coleman cited that, you know, on his docket, it's got the wrong address and that he, you know, suggests that he was at home. So I think it could be something that could go on for quite some time. So, so in a nutshell at the moment, Sean, where does this one sit? It's still just to be determined, is it? Yeah, so the AIU have a really sort of stringently marked out set of processes that all these cases go through. Um, and at the moment, Coleman is provisionally suspended. Um, so that'll obviously be a legal matter at current and we probably won't hear much on it for a while. So we don't we don't really know. You know, it, it would be awful for Coleman if it's simply an error in the tester. You know, they've gone one apartment across or, or one house across. Um, or if he just written his own address in incorrectly, or if it is something worse where, you know, he's actually missed a third test because I know sort of Let's Run, who are a popular running website, did sort of post up this interesting article that took the sort of uh, tone that everyone loses. Like there's, there's, there's not going to be a winner out of this. And it sort of further muddies that, that list of men who've run 981 or 980 or, or faster in that there have been 11 guys that have done that and, you know, I guess if we give Coleman the benefit of the doubt, you know, he's, he's the interesting thing with Coleman is he's never been connected to um, any sort of doping suspicion. It's more that he seems to be awful with paperwork. Um, whereas every other guy on that list by Usain Bolt has had a connection um, or, or a pretty strong allegation with, you know, evidence or a tape or a photo or you know, something that suggested they were taking performance enhancing drugs. So yeah, not, not great for the hundred meter world. Just going off on a bit of a tangent, though, with yeah. um, what's happening with COVID-19 and contact tracing apps and technology, I wonder if that's something the WADA might look like, look at in the future. I know it's a yeah, huge privacy issues. There's no doubt about that. But, yeah, um, yeah it might circumvent some of the issues they have if simply athletes adhere to having contact tracing on their phones. Yeah, so... so well, sorry, not contact tracing, but uh, uh, where they are, you know, knowing where people are all the time. I don't know. Yeah, so, so Coleman and a couple of other athletes that I guess were sort of supporting him um, in, in suggesting that whereabouts testing can be quite difficult to keep track of, you know, even if you are one of the highest paid sprinters in the world, um, was that 
you know, at the point of technology that we're at, that, you know, there should be some sort of process where you can opt in to have your, your GPS data being able to be used or, or something of the sort. Um, and, and that was also a suggestion in terms of what may exonerate Coleman, you know, if, if he can prove by some sort of GPS method that he was at home um, during the time period, that could prove useful. But it was also raised by Let's Run that, you know, are we at a point where doping control officers should record their, their sort of visit? You know, if, if someone's saying, oh, I, I was definitely home, you know, they were knocking on the wrong door. If the drug testers have video of them knocking on the correct door for an hour every every 10 minutes, you know, that would sort of solidify this sort of verbally based level of allegation, you know, if you had something quite concrete. So it's a really frustrating spot for it to be in because, you know, it does feel like there are some technological solutions that could clear it up pretty rapidly as to whether the testers were at the right place or whether the athlete was home or not. Yeah, totally right. And, and you know, it's ubiquitous technology. Yeah, yeah, it's something we've sort of all got access to. So we'll wait and see what yeah. happens with Coleman. Um, there's, there's plenty on Coleman for anyone that's curious. But the second one... Right, well, give us, uh, yeah, give us a quick summary on the second one. Yeah, sorry. This one, if anything, is more scandalous but can be summed up quicker. Um, so uh, Solar A NASA, who ran the third fastest time of all time in 2019 to win the World Championship and ran a near one-second PB in the third round of the 400 metres... Um, she ran 1124, 2251, and 4814, um, all PBs in 2019, and missed three tests. And then she actually admitted she'd missed four. So she missed a fourth in January. Uh, and then the ARU basically said they weren't going to comment on it and that she was under investigation. But NASA and some other media outlets had sort of suggested that she had missed three before Doha, yet was still able to compete. So that was a bit of a hot spot in terms of, look, you know, if, if she had missed three, how, how was she able to compete in Doha and, and win the world title? It doesn't look so great for NASA, I guess, in the court of public opinion, for lack of a better phrase. Her coach, uh, as is sort of listed online, is a guy, Yanko Bratinov, um, who also coached two other Nigerian expats when they moved to Bahrain to compete, which is what NASA has done, in Femi Oganude and Samuel Francis, uh, both of whom tested positive for banned substances. So... It's tough because, you know, Bahrain um, doesn't have a great track record in terms of doping. Um, but there's also a bit of a, I guess, mixed public opinion as to who um, NASA has actually been training with for the last little period of time. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Is that one a little bit more clear cut, do you think? Um, well, I think it's really hard because... There's sort of mixed opinions as to who's currently coaching her, but it, it definitely didn't help when she made this public statement that literally said, oh, it's really normal to miss tests. And I think a lot of PR agencies would have been scrambling in the sense that that's literally the worst thing you could say um, when you're being investigated for missing a number of tests. So again, another one, because you know, these things do take a while. I have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, we'll just wait and see how that plays out. Now, just switching topic again, the uh, Flex Australia Athlete of the Year, Coach of the Year, Official of the Year, all those awards the, um, were announced last week. Congratulations to the winners and worthy winners, weren't they, Sean? Yeah, yeah, I think um, we've we've had some some pretty phenomenal performances across the last, well, during 2019, effectively, um, you know, especially with the rise of Aussie women's high jump and, and especially Kelsey Barber, Winning the world title were, were two that were definitely sort of highlighted in the awards ceremony and, and the success all of our power athletes had in Dubai. And yeah, I think it was a, it was a good opportunity to celebrate their achievements. 
Yeah, it certainly was, but, but typical of our sport, it wasn't uh, without some controversy, uh, particularly in relation to people who may or may not have been uh, nominated for the awards, and also the process by which people are nominated. Now, like probably most of the athletics fraternity, I had no idea how people are nominated for these awards, um, and yet there seem to be some conspiracy theories rolling around about certain athletes, and uh, certain that descended into farce after a while. It was real fantasy land stuff that was being thrown up. So, Sean, could you just explain exactly how people get nominated for the Athlete of the Year, Coach of the Year, uh, Power Athlete of the Year? What is the process that Athletics Australia undertakes? Yeah, no, I don't think there really needed to be any conspiracy. I feel like at AV we... Oh, I, I know the most of it came out of social media, you know, when, when you don't know what you don't know, um, obviously it's, it's pretty fair that you're going to speculate. I definitely get that angle. Um, but yeah, just made sure to comment in a few spots that, um, the process is that each state basically gets one male athlete of the year award and one female athlete of the year award nomination. Um, that was the guys that we're all under in Victoria, you know, from our, um, basically the email we get from the AA awards committee. And, yeah, we nominated Stuart McSwain um, for the men's award and Katrina Bissett for the women's. Um, and I think the important thing to note there is that, uh, as we understood it, all states could nominate anyone from any state. It was just that you could only nominate one. And we also nominated Nick Badeau for Coach of the Year. So, obviously, you know, we went for two Victorians there and, and, a, and an adopted Victorian in, in Stewie, as he spends a lot of his time here, but does represent Tasmania at the national championships. And, um, yeah, following that, that gets sent to... Athletics Australia, and as we understood it, they have an awards committee that, if they feel necessary, can can nominate um, anyone they think's been left out, um, but also that other states can nominate Victorians too. Um, so we ended up in this position where I think it was yeah, Brooke Stratton and Ellie Pashley as well got nominated. Um, and Montag. And Jemima Montag, sorry, yeah. And there was a fair bit of internet furor that Sinead Diver was not nominated. Um, and, you know, I and Eleanor Patterson. Yeah, and Eleanor Patterson, and I think it was probably a little bit unfairly redirected at AV. Um, I think, you know, there, there wasn't much communication from AA on that one, so everyone assumed it was the state's doing. Um, but I can understand how it did look a bit odd that Victoria had seemingly nominated so many people um, when we'd only had nominations of one in every other athlete, you know, either junior or para category. Um, but, yeah, I, I hate to disappoint everyone, but it, it wasn't that exciting from the organisational standpoint in the sense that we found it a surprise as well. We had only nominated the the people, all the, all the numbers that we thought we were allowed. So, um, yeah. yeah. And probably fairly critical to all this too, Sean, that there's no individual one person out there in the athletics world that can, you know, put a block on someone being nominated. No, no. So AA's awards committee is quite big. Um, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but I think it'd be probably close to 10 people, if not more, sit on it. And they come from all different states and event historical backgrounds. So I guess there's a... Do you actually know who's on that committee, Sean? I don't know. Um, it, Do you know it, many of the members? It is listed on the Athletics Australia website, I believe. Okay. I know that I think Anne, Anne Lord is the head of it, I think. And yeah, there's a, there's a fair few people there from all around the, um, all around the country. Yeah, it will represent different states, but also different disciplines. Because, yeah, yet again, we've got to bear in mind this sport is athletics. It's not, you know, in many cases, you know, because of where we come from, it's not distance running. Um, yeah, so it's, it um, is, yeah, all, all component parts of the sport come into it. 
Yeah, so the special awards committee, I've just got it here, um, is comprised of Anne Lord, Margaret Marnie, Susan Hobson, Tim Lyons, Paul Jeans, OIM, Brian Rowe, and Neil Bowden. So pretty big group. And yeah, they're, they're all people that have been around the sport for quite some time. And I'm, I'm sure they had a, a good look over everything before it went up. But yeah, I guess just the, the note that, you know, whilst the hardest thing in this sport as well is, like you said, it's a lot of event groups. Um, and when we're left with only being able to nominate one of each, um, you know, male and female athletes, um, there's, there's always going to be some pretty deserving people who, who can't be nominated in that, in that format. Yeah, correct. But um, in the end, I think the, the right winners were selected, some, some really good choices, and congratulations to those people. Now, that's a wrap on episode 41, Sean. It's uh, interesting times. We've got a, we're trying to stitch up another good uh, episode 42 at the moment, just in the process of trying to align the, the, the stars to get that all happening. But, uh, yeah, we've got another good interview coming up, and we've actually got a few good ones in the pipeline as well. And yet again, we're looking to diversify a little bit, aren't we, Sean? We're not just looking at the world of athletics. We're looking at uh, other aspects of sport. And uh, I think that's quite uh, interesting because it does, you know, it winds in here, it intertwines with what we are doing and what we're trying to achieve, and it is also good to sometimes get a non-athletic perspective. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a level of applicability um, amongst the, a bunch of different sort of sports stakeholder groups that a lot of people in our athletic uh, community could could be um, quite interested in it as well. So, yeah, always on the lookout to try and spread the, uh, the interview list um, as far and wide as possible. Um, and, yeah, looking forward to the next one. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again, Sean. Great uh, explanation there on the the whole drugs controversy, as I'd expect from you. And look forward to uh, doing another episode. Episode 42 will be coming to you soon. Thanks, Tim.